Hello, it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. We're very excited to have a repeat guest, a return guest today, Belinda Smith-Sullivan. Good morning, Belinda. Good morning, Denise, how are you? I'm so good and I love seeing you because last time we used to use Skype and now we're doing Zoom. So I get to see your pretty face, so I'm thrilled. Oh, you're so kind, thank you. And I'm glad to be here. Oh, good. Now, let me tell our viewers. Melinda wrote a book last year that we um, called Just Peachy, and she came and spoke to us. And we learned so much about peaches from you, Belinda. So when I saw your, no, seriously, when I saw your new book called Let's Brunch, and it's a beautiful book and it's by Gibbs Smith, which was your last publisher, and they do beautiful work, I know, because I've had one of my books by Gibbs Smith too. But so let me tell you this long intro and then Belinda's gonna tell us about her menu. Belinda, I learned to cook from Better Homes and Gardens. I got that magazine as a 20 year old. My husband was in dental school. We, had, we were broke, we had no money. I was learning to cook and I used to copy the covers of their magazine, okay? The pie, the cake, whatever they had on it. And, and then I would, my mother would come over and I would show her the cover of the magazine and then I would show her the pastries. I'm sure she thought, oh, this poor child. But the bottom line is this. So I'm reading my magazine at the beginning of December and I turn the pages and there you are. You are, you're the whole thing. You are like the center, what we used to call the center of the magazine. And Belinda, it's a beautiful menu. And I want you, I'm going to ask you, it's called The Fortunate Table. Now, I think because of the year so many of us have had, well, the whole world in 2020, <laughs> when I read your beautiful menu with the history of the dishes, I thought, Belinda, we need to be serving this menu every Sunday in 2021. We're not just waiting for the new year. So tell me about it, honey, and start with, because the idea, it's called The Fortunate Table, was the article about good luck dishes, and also tell us why you like to brunch, and why you like to make brunch. Let's start there, and then we'll go over the menu. Brunch is something, is a way that I have been entertaining with since, oh goodness, and I probably should mention this year, but back in the 70s, when I was a brand new little, at the time we were called stewardesses. Oh in, my God. <laughs> in New York City. Uh, very poor. <laughs> Couldn't afford to go out. <laughs> but I would invite friends over for brunch because brunch is something that I am very comfortable, you know, cooking. And brunch is not expensive. You can have a very, very nice, lavish brunch for not much money. And it always surprised me that I could get friends. I lived, by the way, I said I was a stewardess and we lived, you know, very, very modestly. I lived in a six-floor walk-up apartment. Today, it would kill me just to try to go up those steps. But I, every Sunday, I could get my friends to come over for brunch and walk up all those stairs. It must have been the promise of champagne or something. Of course it was. <laughs> now, I agree with you. And I, I say this to new young women that are learning to cook and entertain. Brunch takes all that to me, the, like if people are having dinner, they, their dishes don't match or they're afraid if they ruin the, let's say if it's a, it's a meat based thing, they're afraid to stick that roast in the oven because it costs $65. So rightly so. 
And people have so much stress at dinner. What kind of wine? What da, 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 da. Well, I like brunch too, Belinda. And, and, some, and I like it even more as I've aged because I don't want to eat late at night. <laughs> I hear it. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think it's delicious. It's fun. It's festive. And my guests will go home and I can get a good night's sleep. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And you're not stressed, like you said, with the dinner party, because it. it all has to come together at just the right time. Brunch is just a casual kind of thing. People come in, you put a mimosa in their hand and they're fine until you get around to putting the food on the table, you it's, know? <laughs> and, it, and so tell us this. I want you to talk about your grapefruit champagne and vodka spritz, which I wish I had one in my hand right now. <laughs> Again, it's taking something that we all know and love, again, champagne, but for a special brunch, just, you know, making it a little bit special, you know, just kicking it up a notch. Uh, and it's just wonderful. I spent time in a place called Brange, uh, France, and every day I'd have champagne with grapefruit juice. And so when I started thinking about the uh, you know, the adult beverages that I might put into Let's Brunch, that just popped out in my mind and I did more research on it. And of course it has a little Aperol in it. So it's just, oh, just a wonderful little uh, cocktail. And the picture of it, the other thing I like is it's a beautiful color, Belinda. It, yes. It's festive looking. Do you know what I mean? That Now, I don't drink champagne like I used to. Well, I had to actually, I don't drink like I used to. Belinda. And again, I'm just getting old. I said to my, what, my husband and I, but we buy splits of champagne because that way you don't have, you know, I don't, we don't waste anything. But I think champagne, Linda, and you said, especially in a beautiful glass, um, it, it just, it makes people think they're celebrating. It doesn't matter. It's a celebration. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's, you, you, it just makes you feel good. That's right. <laughs> and for the new, the new, we get a lot of women that listen to this podcast, Belinda, that are young. I think they're looking for inspiration. And I always <laughs> say to them, I want you to look farther than us. Okay. <laughs> but. If you can, you can get a really good bottle of champagne for $10. So it's not like you have to have, and then if you add something to it, it's again, not the same cost as, as looking for, you know, worrying about some fancy wine or thinking that you need to, you know, impress people. Oh, I love it. Well, the picture of it looks absolutely gorgeous. And I will say this, I don't think vodka hurts anything, Belinda. <laughs> Hey. All right. <laughs> now, I thought this was the cleverest. Talk to us about your fried green tomatillas and aioli because I loved it. Yeah. Okay. Um, my dad loves fried green tomatoes. And my mom always had a garden with, of course, tomato plants growing. And every day in the summertime, he has fried green tomatoes for breakfast. But you can't find green tomatoes in the wintertime. That's right. So I thought, ah, tomatillas. I love those. Let's just use them as a, as a viable substitute. And it works. 
It's so clever. It was such a, when I read what you'd said just that, I thought, and we have tomatillos here in California all the time. Do you know what I mean? We, they're yeah. all, the time. Mm -hmm. but I, I really, um, Belinda only had fried green tomatoes once when I was in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I bit into it and I thought to myself, oh, well, this is what all the fuss is about because it was absolutely delicious. And I didn't know until then. But so I love this idea because I could try this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're and like you said, they're available all year round. All year round. Yeah. Now, answer me this. If someone doesn't want to make the aioli, can they just buy some um, mayonnaise and doctor it up? Oh, sure. I'd probably just do something as simple as uh, some regular mayo and throw some sriracha in there. Perfect. 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 I Perfect. love it. Oh, yeah. I, I will say this, Belinda, and again, only because we're, everybody will know, we are in, we are still in the middle of this pandemic. So I know for many of us, and I am grateful I'm not being, some days I am a spoiled brat. I just want to go to a restaurant <laughs> because it's not the cooking so much. It's the dishes. I know that sounds like, oh, poor me. I'm grateful to have a house. I'm grateful to have a dishwasher. But I, we haven't been out of this house for dinner for like 10 months, nine months. So I things like your aioli, I'm looking for cheap tricks sometimes when I'm cooking now that I never utilized as much before because I just don't want to do any more dishes. <laughs> oh, I know. It, it, it's been a lot. It's been a lot this yeah. pandemic. And which is why when it's free to, we are all going to eat brunch on Sundays. <laughs> We can just eat it, eat and entertain to our hearts content. Yeah. Now tell you me, know, someone asked me. They said, "But why? Do, you know, we're in this uh, isolation phase of the pandemic, and so who are you going to invite over to make brunch for? You know, who's going to want to leave their home and come to yours?" And I and I tell them, if you have a family, treat your family to this nice brunch. That's right. It doesn't have someone from outside? You've got people right there who live with you who deserve to be treated, uh, you know, an extra special. And you know what? In these, some of these recipes, Belinda, these are recipes that you need, if your nieces and nephews, or if you've got cousins that don't know these recipes, that's what I've been saying to my, my two nieces. This is mm -hmm. the time. And sometimes we just Zoom, but I said, this is the time. And if they just, I mean, I would make it for them and they can watch me, but this is the time to learn some of this because why not? Oh mm -hmm. no, Linda, your point is so well taken. During this time, my husband and I, I would say in 28 years of marriage, we've spent more time together in the last year than we did in the first 20. I'm not exaggerating that, Cindy knows. And now, I, I make stuff and he says, this is so delicious. And I think, well, who else am I going to cook for? You're looking at me. <laughs> we live together. So we might as well try to make our bubble as delicious as we can. Yep. And as special as you can. Absolutely. Now, tell me about Black Eyed Pea Succotash. <laughs> well, Black Eyed Peas, as you know, and collard greens and pork are things that are traditionally eaten on New Year's Day. And they How have Okay, uh, the, the grains signify uh, 
prosperity and money, wealth in the upcoming year. The uh, black eyed peas, the symbol of that is coins. So with the green money, you, you're also going to accumulate these coins, which only adds to your wealth. The pork is significant because pigs are rooting animals and they root forward. They never go back. Love so, it. I did not know course, that. Just, just it, so it means progress. So just keep moving forward. I love it. See, I did not know that. Yeah. I heard about the black eyed peas before. I did not know about the pork. Well, that may, and you know what else? Because pigs are smart. That's a very, pigs very are smart. smart. But now, I one more thing to say about the black eyed peas, as opposed to making a pot of black eyed peas, I said, what can I do with that that make it more creative? So succotash is also a very Southern dish. So I said, let's put the black eyed peas in the succotash. See, that's what I thought you did. I love it. I have made succotash because of Natalie Dupree, because one of her <laughs> recipes, you know, and when Natalie tells you you have to do something, Belinda, you and I both know you do I it. Know. You do it. <laughs> so when I saw yours, I thought she combined this and it's so smart. And I know I love succotash. And I thought to my, and I also love in your recipe, Belinda, you use frozen black eyed peas. So that's got to be a time saver. Yes, it would be a time saver. That's great. If you'd like to cook them, that's fine. But you know. Like while I was taught in culinary school, learn the techniques, but use the shortcuts. That's, <laughs> I think that shortcuts, eat, I know this, it's because, and then when you're entertaining, if you're going to make four or five or six dishes, sure, you want to take a shortcut. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I, for Christmas this year, um, Belinda, I made my mother's au gratin potatoes. So they're mm. just uh, uh, shredded cheese and, uh, onion and a half and half and really thin sliced potatoes. I think her recipe was delicious because she baked them so long. Do you know what I mean? That's what I remember. But mm -hmm. I, I bought pre-shredded cheese because I thought I'm not great in the cheese. And then I sauteed my onions with a leek beforehand so that they went in cooked. And I cut down on the cooking time a little bit, but the potatoes were just as good. So mm -hmm. even though I made shortcuts and you know what, it was, it, it worked. So I'm mm -hmm. all for shortcuts. Oh yeah. Me too. Now talk to us about cheesy grits, cakes. Well, I kind of happened across this, you know, a different way. I was making um, some cornbread okay. and I realized I didn't have meal, cornmeal, but I had grits. So I thought, Hmm, wonder if I can do this. <laughs> and I made the cornbread with the grits and it was wonderful. Delicious. I got the idea for these grit cakes and then to put, of course, the shredded pork and the collard greens on, on that. It's a wonderful appetizer. That sounds, the picture of it sounds delicious. When I, see, I love grits, but then the same thing because Italians, grits are just polenta. You know, I mean, it's, it's not, but you know what I'm saying to us. Mm -hmm. so lots of times I buy the grits. They're from a famous farm. I think Carolina farm, something like that. I'm sorry. I don't remember the name exactly, but I get them off Amazon mm -hmm. and I just follow the recipe off the back of the package. I mean, nothing fancy at all, but Oh my God. And I usually put wild mushrooms on top because that's what 
we would do with Italians. Do you see what I'm saying? But pulled Uh pork, when your pork on top of that sounds divine to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the pulled pork. Well, you know, this is South Carolina, pulled pork rules here. (laughs) (laughs) And rightly so. Now, tell me about your braised cabbage collard greens. This is a something that I discovered oh from my mom maybe 15 years ago. She's uh, she, my parents had retired from Chicago to uh, Phoenix, and so my mom always had a garden. Even when we were growing up in Chicago, always a garden and always collard greens. And uh, I went to visit one year, and she says, you know, she was making the greens, and I said, Ma, I said I don't think they're done. She goes, No, these are cabbage collards, and they cook up a lot quicker. They do, and the taste it's almost like a cross between collard greens and cabbage. Okay. They, they're very tasty, but they don't take all day to cook like regular collard greens. <laughs> See, that, again, the reason I, okay, it's a lot, make the long story short. I was in Mississippi visiting a woman who I'd become very close to, a younger woman than me, but I was, I worked as the first woman chef like on a cruise ship, and this is in the eighties, in the kitchen. They had to let me in the kitchen. She was a cocktail waitress. Well, they had no place to put me because there were no other women chefs. So they put me with this lovely young cocktail waitress. We shared a room for about three months. Her name was Dana. She was from Mississippi. So I went to visit her. And that's the first time I really ate homemade Southern food. Do you know what I mean, Belinda, where her mother? And I saw her mother cooking this big pot of greens. And some of the greens, again, were things like mustard greens. I don't know that we called them mustard greens, but Italians, we grew those and ate them. Do you know what I mean? Most, we, I didn't even know that there were similar greens. But So her mother and cooked them with some bacon fat. Oh. I, they were divine. I mean, when I, I, I remember, but she cooked them and her mother was funny because her mother, they had a, clean, a, a, a cook that lived with them. But the mother did the greens and she kept saying to me, don't get near that pot. <laughs> don't get near that pot. Because she didn't want me to put the spoon or touch them or steal anything. But I think she, I don't know how long she cooked them, Belinda, but it was amazing to me. Okay. Oh, yeah. And then I tasted them. I thought, okay, I get this. <laughs> so again, your recipe has a time-saving element to it, which would be wonderful for someone who's new to this. Mm-hmm. And they really are now more widely available. There was a time, maybe 10 years ago, where it was hit or miss being able to find them. But especially here in the South, you can find them just about everywhere. Gotcha. Honey, you know what? We're so lucky. I think that's one of the things the internet has done to our food sources. It's created when there's a need in one place, but a food writer writes about it or a cookbook author writes about it, all of a sudden, (laughs) It travels and now it's it in Ralph's and Vaughn's, our local grocery stores, because people are asking for them. I mean, it's 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 pretty amazing that we can get just about anything anywhere today. Yeah. Now, so roasted pulled pork, you give another recipe for that. Mm-hmm. And how your recipe says eight hours and 50 minutes plus overnight. Now, could someone also cook? this in an Instapot to get pulled pork? Yes, she could. you absolutely could. I, I just mean, use, I just cooked it in the crock pot, but you could absolutely. You pot. Okay. 
I'm not big on Instapots, Belinda. I bought one, used it for a couple of things, then realized at my age, I wasn't in that big of a hurry, okay? But I know that younger people, that this would be a perfect recipe if it was someone, a young woman entertaining that she could probably do a pulled pork in her Instapot and really and move along the process. Mm -hmm. I, I bet they probably have a recipe for that on their website. I'm sure they do too. Now, the piece de resistance of your recipes, of course, which by the way, I read this and thought, okay, I can do this, is the buttermilk, buttermilk caramel cake. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, Belinda, the picture is just torment to me, okay? Because it looks so, and I love your quote. One of your quotes was, it's almost too sweet, but it's just sweet. And I thought, I knew exactly what you meant, but see, I love, I would take caramel over chocolate any day. Yes. I, when I grew up, my, my mother's sister that I'm named after my middle name and her name was Marie. This was, she was the only one in the family that made this cake. Oh. No one else the caramel cake except my Aunt Marie. <laughs> and because so it's kind of special to me. Of course. And because she probably did it the best. Yes. Yes. When people, people, I think when you come from families that cook, we had certain things in our family. And of course, also Italians, Belinda, how loud could we be in the kitchen? That's all I want. I mean, <laughs> I've said this to people all the time. When my grandparents were still alive and we would go for the holidays, I'm just, we owned the apartment building. Otherwise we would have been kicked out. Do you know what I mean? Because we could have, a, my father and his father or my mother and her father-in-law, they could fight about a turkey or raviolis until, I mean, we were just stunned as children. I remember thinking, boy, I'm, this is bad, you know what I mean? This is bad. So I look at the uh, recipe like for this buttermilk caramel cake, which I will admit, I have never made this. I've made a lot of stuff being a food stylist, even more than, you know, being a chef. And I guess what scares me is the frosting. Yes, that takes a lot of care and patience. Okay, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And why is that? Well, one, you have to cook it to a certain temperature you need a, and for that, you need a candy thermometer, which the average kitchen Person. does not. Yeah. Uh, it's easy for it to crystallize. You have to be careful not to stir it too much because if you stir it too much, the, the sugar crystals get on the side of the pan and then it breaks down. Oh. So you're having to keep the inside of the pan either wiped down or uh, with a little bit of water in there. Get so it. once you, I tell everyone, go ahead and mess it up the first time. You, that'll be, that'll be the best teacher for you. Make it once, have it turn out awful and then think about it and say, okay, now I know how I'm going to, you know, I you know, know. To correct it. Melinda, I think that's the smartest thing to say. I think that is so true in cooking. Most people, everybody's so frenetic about, uh, I always say to people, don't make it the first time before your mother-in-law is coming. Do you know what I mean? Because, yeah. because then you'll, you know, but every time I always equate this to the first time I ever made a souffle, which, and once you've done it, you realize they're not difficult, mm -hmm. but I made the souffle, but then 
Belinda, I baked it too long. Okay, I just baked it too long. So by the time I was finished, it was more like an angel food cake with you know chives <laughs> in it than it was a split. But after, and I still ate it. I had a boyfriend at the time, and he and I ate it, and he was so cute because he, I said this isn't right. It still tasted good, but I said this isn't right, and he said very nicely under his napkin, "I think it could be cooked a little less to be a souffle." And I remember thinking. <laughs> he said it nicely so I didn't you know stab him but inside I after that I never did it again Belinda I do think that that's part of cooking and if people which is why I'm going to try your caramel cake and I'm going to have enough ingredients so if I make a mess with the frosting I'll turn right around and do it again I you know when people ask me how did you learn to do that well when you when you do it a hundred times all of a sudden it's not difficult that's right it's only hard when we are learning. Yeah. Um, now, so have you, what did you learn? Because last time you were with us, so this is your second book. Now, what yeah. did you, was it easier than writing your first book? I think it was, yes. Less you know, less you're just nervous. And but the second time, I mean, you kind of get it down to a science at that point. I, I, I look at writing cookbooks as a project. In a previous life, I used to be a project, after I left uh, the airlines, I went to work for Coca-Cola and I was a project manager and I'm certified in project management. So when I got the first contract for Just Peachy, I had my uh, agent uh, who you probably know, Martha Hopkins. Yes! She called me and she says, what are you doing? I said, I'm up in the attic looking for my PERT charts. She said, your PERT charts? I said, yeah, I said, this is a project. So I've got to organize a project. She thought that was the funniest thing she had ever heard. <laughs> Belinda, I think it's genius because I agree with you. And if you think of, I, I mean, this has been a project in my head for me. It's something that's exciting to get the deal. Do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> exciting to get the project, but you also know it's going to end. It's not, you know, part of the problem with writing a cookbook to me in the beginning, the first one, is one, you, you just don't want to embarrass yourself. You don't want people to say, Jesus, this is the worst cookbook I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I mean, you're just waiting for the horror of someone discovering, you know, that you weren't as smart as you thought you were. But I think that to think of things as a project is the way to go. And, you know, it, it may, and, and look now, my project's gonna be the buttermilk caramel cake. So if I think of it as a project. That's right, it's a project. And then I'll if it's not success the first time, it'll be successful the second time. Mm -hmm. Now, I can't thank you enough. Now I need to say one more thing. Martha Hopkins is one of my dearest friends in the whole world. And she's a sweetheart. I, and I, she's such a sweetheart, and I'm so glad she's your agent, and she's so smart. Um, and sometimes she and I just text each other like one line in quotes from something that we, someone else said, or something that we say to each other, and we just crack each other up because we, it's because she's just one of the loveliest, smartest people on the planet. She is. I'm so glad she's your agent. That's so lovely. <laughs> now answer me this. What are you going to do when we're out of the pandemic? What's the first thing you're going to do? Oh, like I you said, you like, go to a restaurant. 
Okay. <laughs> just yeah. indulge. Maybe order one of everything on the menu, even if I just have one bite. <laughs> you know what? I think that, and I will say this is what I have learned, Belinda, and I thank you so much for talking to us today. And that's why when I got the magazine and you had this beautiful spread and I, I thought of how I admire you and I'm so grateful because you know what? I don't want to take anything for granted anymore. That's what I think I've learned from the pandemic. Mm -hmm. You know, I think of the times that someone might have asked me to lunch or just to do something and I kind of like, thought, oh, I don't really feel like going today or I, you know, oh, I don't really like that restaurant or whatever spoiled ass thing I was thinking. Mm -hmm. I feel that now I feel very differently. And I just mm -hmm. think to myself, I'm never taking my, being able to see my family or friends for granted again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it really has been an eye opener and a soul searching experience, I think, for all of us. Yes. And some good has come out of it. And I, I think that that's what we have to look at. Do you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I, I think some good has come out of it. So anyway, madam, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Denise. Such a pleasure to see you. Thank you, Miss Cindy. And now, if you have questions about Belinda, Belinda, you know, when we put up the broadcast, there will be a website and we'll probably have pictures for a, a picture and a recipe from your book. Mm -hmm. So if people want to reach you, they can and ask you more questions. But anyway, honey, thank you so much and congratulations to you on your second <laughs> birth of your second cookbook. Thank you so much, Denise. It's been My a pleasure. Thank you, Miss Cindy, and thank everyone that listens. And I'm going to tell you something. You want to look for Belinda's book, uh, Let's Brunch, on Amazon.com. It's also at other bookstores. But it's really, I just think it's a little treasure. Belinda, I'm very proud of you. It's a treasure. Thank you. <laughs> See you again, I hope. Stay well. Oh, absolutely. You too. Okay. Bye.